message to us and we pray that as he shares from God's word this morning that, uh, that it would encourage, it would build up and Father it would be practical as well that we would go away from here saying how can I put this into practice in my life. So we ask you to bless him and, and bless uh, those of us who are here this morning. Amen. Amen. Morning. Great to have you here. Good to see you. My name's Tim Chilvers, part of the leadership here. If I've not met you before, uh, good morning. Uh, it's great to see you on this beautiful, beautiful day, end of half term. I know a few are kind of making their way back from various different travels. We're going to turn to the Bible now. Um, we're going to read the words will come up on the screen. Uh, I was thinking this week about a video I saw uh, where there was a tribe uh, in kind of Papua New Guinea that had never had the Bible in their own language. And this video pictured the moment the plane landed, dropping and providing these Bibles that had been translated uh, over many, many years. And the joy on their faces, tears streaming down their faces as they finally had the Bible in their own language, in the words that they could understand. The joy and just they were dancing and leaping around because they got the Bible. Uh, it's just a reminder, we're going to read from the Bible. This is dynamite. This is powerful. Uh, this is changing lives all around the world. So let's read together from the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's uh, letter to a church in Corinth. And we're going to read chapter 8, verses 1 through to 12, I think it is. And this is Paul speaking. And now, brothers and sisters... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the middle of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he'd earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's my judgment about what's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty 
will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal's equality. As it's written, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. May God speak to us this morning. Well, if you haven't been aware of it, something remarkable has happened over the last uh, few weeks, uh, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, it started with one person asking a very, very simple question. That question got an answer, and then suddenly, in a very short space of time, hundreds of millions of people all across the world were seeing the response. Social media was on fire with it. Everyone had a comment about it. I'm not talking about, hang on, can we have the PowerPoint up a second round? I'm not talking about this image, which of course made the news. What I'm talking about is two words, Yanni or Laurel. Put your hands if you've heard about this. Okay, let's do a little audience experiment. (laughs) Which word do we hear being spoken, Yanni or Laurel? Go for it, Keith. Laurel. Laurel. Okay, Laurel. put your hands if you heard the word Yanny. Laurel. In a Laurel. sort of American Yanny. Okay, put your hands Laurel. down. Put your hands if you heard the word Laurel. 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 Very interesting. Laurel. No one's ever people going, what? what are we on about? Now, it lets, we yeah. all hear it differently, and interestingly, you hear yeah. it differently through these speakers than you do yeah. through other speakers. So here is, yeah. depending on the tone in yeah. which you hear it in, will depend on yeah. the word you hear. We all have different yeah. shaped and sized ears, the holes, which therefore means we all hear things differently. And here's a little video to explain it to us. At different pitches, you'll see. Laurel. Laurel. Laurel, 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 Laurel. And the lower pitch it goes, it gradually slightly changes sound. Laurel, 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 Laurel. Do you see how it slightly changes what the word is? Well, that'll do, Keith. The actual word is the word Laurel. It's a computer-generated thing for when you have to click on what, how do you pronounce Laurel and Hardy, and the computers with that word. But of course, it caused massive things. Just Google it. It is huge globally. It was a few weeks ago. Millions, if not billions, of people engaging in it. Here's the point, not just a random thing on a Sunday morning. For some of us, it is so obvious that we only hear one word. We can't hear the other word. And then the others are thinking, how on earth can you hear that? I just hear this. Well, this week we continue our series about some apparent tensions in the Bible where things are kind of put against each other. And today we're thinking about two words that at the surface we have very clear idea what they mean. But I think the Bible has a very, very different perspective on them. And we in our 21st century Western ears only hear one thing 
And yet the biblical perspective is radically different for us. We're talking this morning about the words rich and poor. And we're simply asking the question, can you have it all when you've got nothing? If I was to ask you, are you rich? We would all have a perspective on that. Many of us shaking our heads, many of us wishing we were, or many of us saying, well, it depends what you mean. (laughs) And if I was to ask the question, are you poor? We might think, well, I am compared to so-and-so, but I'm not compared to so-and-so. We all know what we mean when we hear the words rich and poor. Our culture, without question, puts money as something that is worth living for. Here's Lily Allen in an interview in Q Magazine. Money is the answer. There's a lot of money in this world just waiting to be taken, and I want some, please. We know what we mean by rich, and therefore, we want to be that in our culture. And the opposite, therefore, like Cher, I'm scared to death of being poor. It's my pet paranoia. Rich in our society is good. Poor in our society is bad. You don't have to look very far to know that's what is largely held by most people. And with a two, with kind of a couple of romantic exceptions like the Amish or monks who are poor, but yet, you know, we kind of think, well, good on them, bless them, ah, but we don't want to be like that, thanks. We want to be the rich person with the yacht or whatever it may be. Well, in the Bible, we come face to face with a shocking reality. The reality is this, that you can be very, very, very rich and at the same time, very, very, very poor. And in the same breath, you can be very, very poor and at the same time, be rich beyond your wildest dreams. And to help us with this, this passage that was read, we're gonna be zooming in on that. And there's three perspectives because Paul is pointing to a huge secret about handling our money well in such a way that is radically different for our 21st century ears. Three things we'll learn. We'll learn how to be rich when you're poor. Secondly, we'll learn how to get really rich. And thirdly, there's some practicalities that we'll unpack uh, for it. So firstly, let's jump in. How to be rich when you're poor. Our society says rich is good, poor is not. Many of us won't put ourselves in the rich category, so how do we be rich when we're poor? Well, Paul is writing this letter to a group of people in a church in Corinth, kind of modern-day Greece. And in those days, the church in Jerusalem where Paul has come from is very, very poor. Very poor, physically, financially. And Christians in Macedonia have been sending money to them to help them. They're brothers and sisters, and so they've been sending money to the poor church in Jerusalem. But look at how Paul describes those people who've sent the money. Verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Do you see that? There isn't some rich benefactor 
that is enabling them to give to the Jerusalem church. No, they are extremely poor, extreme poverty. Not just poor, they are extremely poor. And look at Paul, how Paul describes them. In the same breath, rich, richly generous. In fact, they're not just generous. Verse three, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They're not just generous, they're crazily generous. Extremely poor, extremely generous. And, and their attitude in doing so? Well, verse four. Sorry, verse four goes on. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. They begged to give their money away. <laughs> That's a different kind of poverty. Think about our fundraising campaigns that we have today. We've, if you're anything like me, you've had loads of GDPR letters and emails and all this. Don't lose touch with us. And alongside those, all sorts of, we get lots of fundraising things, don't we? Asking for money. Here are some Christians asking not for money, asking to give away their money. Begging with Paul. They pleaded with Paul, please, we want to give money away. That, says Paul, is true riches. They may be physically poor, but in their heart, they're the wealthiest people on the planet. That's incredible. And with our 21st century lens, seems utterly bonkers. It's no wonder that verse one, Paul says what? We want you to know about the grace that God has given you. This is a miracle, a God-given thing that enables these very poor people to give with extreme generosity. That's a gift of grace. Undeserved. And that word grace, hold it there for a moment, we're gonna come back to it in a minute. But do you notice what else is linked with this sacrificial generosity? Read again. In the midst of a very severe trial, they're not only extremely poor, they're really going through the meal. Life is really challenging for them. They're overflowing joy. Joy. My highlight from the royal wedding a few weeks ago was this photo. Do you remember it? As she was coming up the aisle, the little boy, the page boy's face, as the trumpets kind of went, and it was, wow, joy, wow, this is amazing. These Christians in Macedonia were extremely poor, going through real difficulty. They were extremely generous and full of joy because they were pleading to be involved in supporting their friends and brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. That is amazing, and we can't get our heads around it when we think of the word rich and poor. Do you know, a survey a few years ago was done asking a wide variety of people with very different backgrounds, how much money would you need to be happy? And regardless of people's backgrounds, their income, their jobs, their career, their state of life, the overwhelming response was, to be happy, I need about 10% more than I've got now. 
In other words, whoever was asked however much they actually had, they thought if I just had a little bit more, I don't want to be, I don't want a yacht, but just 10% more, then I will be happy, regardless of how much they had in the first place. And here, Paul says joy and wealth are not linked. For these guys, joy and poverty are linked because it's not about poverty, it's about their generosity in it. We can't get our heads around it. I remember talking to a friend of mine who was a trader in London, stock on the stock market, earning a lot of money. He had the Porsche, he had the flat in New York, he had the swimming pool, all that sort of stuff. And he said to me that he was never happier than when he became a follower of Jesus. And he remembers sitting on a flat, a different flat, not in New York, uh, with his wife on the floor because they couldn't afford the sofa in this new flat that they had. That was the moment he was happiest and it was nothing to do with the wealth that he would later get. In other words, for these Christians and the testimony of so many people is that joy and money are not linked. There's something else about the heart. So can I ask, what about our attitude to money? Do we believe this? Do we believe it is possible to be full of joy and richly generous regardless of the digits in our bank balance? How many of us, if we were asked, do you want some more money, would say, I'm fine, thanks. Many of us know this, don't we? But deep down, we struggle. Can I ask for some of us, are we waiting for that little bit more before we start being very generous? They were extremely generous with very little. And can I talk for a moment just for those who are regularly part of Riverside, who would call Riverside your family, this is your church, you're kind of part of things, you love it and plugged in, great. If, you, if that's you and you know that you've never really kind of got involved in kind of supporting the work that goes on here on a regular basis, can I just encourage you to think about it? It might be something you'd really want to think about. Regardless of whether you are at where you want to be, to think about where you are at now. Uh, if you're part of Riverside, you'll have got a letter recently uh, kind of about church suite and all those sort of things about how you can be better plugged in communication-wise. But can I urge you, if you've never really started to think about your role in it, about your part of the family. Because look at how Paul describes it again in verse 4. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. It's a privilege to be part of a family and therefore part of the team. And they were privileged because it was a service, an act of service. Do you see that word? It's the same word as grace that Paul talked about in verse one. God's given them the gracious gift of being able to be generous. And so that when we're joining in the service of sharing, of being generous, it's an act of grace. We're showing grace to other people. We are enacting what Jesus has done for us, as we'll see in a moment. And if we're a follower of Jesus... Look at how Paul describes the things. He says to these Corinthian Christians, you're doing pretty well, you're excelling in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we've kindled in you. All good, big tick, brilliant, well done. And so in the same way, 
Excel in the grace of giving too. How to be rich when you're poor? Well, it's not about the level of your bank balance. It's about something deeper. But then comes the question, okay, well, how? (laughs) That seems so alien for us in our world. How were they able to be like this? Were they just kind of sort of, I don't care, whatever. Or was there something else going on? And this is where we get to our second point. How to get really rich. We live in a society where there's loads of opportunities to make a lot of money. Go into any bookshop, you'll find loads of books about it. Go on the website, YouTube, there's loads of things about you how to get lots of money. But I don't know if you heard about this man and the way that he tried to make a lot of money recently. His name is Deshane Henderson Spruce and he used to work for UPS, you know the parcel delivery people? And he had an idea of making a lot of money. I admire his gall, but what he did was illegal, just to put that out there, don't do it. Back in 2012, he worked for UPS, and he, just for a few months, and he thought of a good way to make a lot of money. What he did whilst he was briefly at the company, he went into the computer system and decided to change the address for the head office of UPS and put it as his own apartment. A few months later, the police raided his apartment and they found 3,000 pieces of post for the UPS international headquarters in his own apartment, including credit cards for the chief exec, checks to the tune of 58,000 pounds that had been banked in his bank account. That is one way to get rich. I urge you, don't do it. It's not a very wise way to get rich because of course he was arrested, put in prison, and all that. Well, it's illegal anyway, regardless of whether he was arrested. <laughs> Whew, put that out there to see. <laughs> Paul is urging these Corinthian Christians in ancient Greece to act like their friends in their generosity. And he gives them two motivations. Do you see it? Verse eight. I'm not commanding you. And I think it's just worth hearing that. If you have been around church for a little while or you've not been around church for a little while but you've been kind of put off church by sort of preachers or churches that have all been about the money, the money, the money. I don't know if you saw the article in the news this week about one American mega preacher who's urging his followers to donate so he can buy a jet for 56 million pounds. Can I say, if that's your experience... Listen carefully to those opening words of Paul. I am not commanding you. If we're involved in giving, it's because of free freedom. Freedom. And he gives two motivations. Firstly, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. In other words, you say you're part of the family, well, be part of the family then. But then here's the clincher. Here's the reason that Paul is not commanding them. Here is the reason these followers of Jesus were able to be so radically generous even with their little. And here is the reason today that we can be truly rich even if we're very, very poor. Verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, 
yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty he might become, we might become rich. Do you see the logic? Jesus, the God of the universe, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor. A little baby with no place to call his own, in a manger, surrounded by animals. He became poor so that we, through his poverty, the way he lowered himself, might become rich to inherit all those good things, the glory from which he came. It's only when we understand that everything changes in our approach to money. I don't know if you listened to the words of the preacher in the royal sermon. Caused a bit of a stir, didn't it? More stir than the dress, I think it was. Uh, So many people loved it. Ed Miliband, I loved Ed Miliband's comment. Reverend Michael Curry could also make me, almost make me a believer. Really captured people's attention, the power of love. This is what he said. Did you hear it? If you cannot preach like Peter and you cannot pray like Paul, just tell the love of Jesus how he died to save us all. This way of love, it's a way of life. They got it, he died to save us all. He didn't die for anything he could get out of it. Jesus didn't get an honorary doctorate for dying. He, he wasn't getting anything out of it. He gave up his life, he sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the well-being of the world, for us. That's what love is. He died to save us all. That's what love is. And these Macedonian Christians knew that. They knew that the God of all eternity had given up all of that for their sakes. As a result, them with their own practical circumstances, how can they not just be so free? Because they realize all the grace that God has given them. Wow! Of course we want to be generous, they said because they realize they're rich beyond their wildest, wildest, wildest dreams. So we don't get rich by hoarding up wealth. It's the famous story often told by vicars of a vicar doing the funeral. I don't know if it's true, but I'd hope it is. It's a great story. The vicar doing a funeral of a very wealthy man and at the burial, everyone kind of find out what, was, you know, what the inheritance was and all that. And somebody walked up to the vicar and whispered in his ear, how much did he leave? And the vicar very wisely said, everything. (laughs) These Christians knew the path to get really rich is by simply accepting all that God has done for you. Because ultimately money will disappear when we die but Jesus gives us life itself and life for all eternity. That is a gift that is way better than any yacht or whatever your particular fantasy may be. And it's only when we understand this does it set us free from having money as a God and having Christ as Lord of our lives. Did you know that three out of five Premier League footballers are bankrupt within five years of retiring? Money is a useful tool, but is a terrible God. 
It will chew you up, spit you out, because you'll never have enough. In contrast, when we realize all that Jesus has done for you, we then can use money in a useful way rather than being used by money and being dominated by it. So that's how to get really rich, realize all that God has done for us. And so some very clear practicalities as we come to a close. And these are just some very useful hints, I think, that Paul gives about how we might then handle money well. If that's true, great. If our mindset changes about money, what does it look like to handle money in a very practical way well? Because God has got us, we realize he loves us, and therefore we can relax. And the reality is we all struggle in different ways with different bits of this, but I'll just name them all. Firstly, look at verse 10 and 11. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Firstly, heart is key, isn't it? Our heart is key. In other words, it can be easy to do things, to be generous or whatever, because we're asked to do so, whereas these guys, their heart, they had a desire to do so. And I'm guessing, I'm not going to ask, if, if we ask for a show of hands, some of us would say that we're quite good with money, disciplined, budgeted, and all that sort of stuff. Others of us would say we're not. For some of us, if we're honest, we know the reasons around that are because of our heart. So it can be easy to be so disciplined with money and you think you're being wise and good with it, but actually it's all about you. Whereas others can be as disciplined and well-managed, but actually have the desire to be generous like these guys. And others of us can be so sort of, don't know how to handle it, because we've forgotten that actually if we manage well, we can then be more generous with it and so on. So heart is key. They had a desire even in their poverty, regardless of circumstances, to be generous. Paul elsewhere talks about being a cheerful, a hilarious giver. A, a little while ago, I was told a story by a friend of a, a family friend of ours. And this family friend of ours had to be involved in something with the military. And this thing to do with the military, he wasn't allowed to give details because it was, you know, whatever, secret service, whatever it might be, meant they had to be interviewed before going into this position. And in the interview, he was asked, because they had to access his bank accounts to find out what his situation was so that he couldn't be blackmailed and all this sort of stuff. And he was asked in this interview by two government officials from a certain agency, where does this money go to every month? And he said, I'm a Christian, I give this money to my church. They said, that can't be true. He said, why not? And they said, because nobody gives away that sort of money every month without any benefits. And he was able in that interview with these government officials to open his Bible and begin to explain why it was the case. Because he knew all that Jesus had done for him, that meant even this job came second to just living for the God of the universe that had rescued him. That's good news, because he had the desire, because his desires had changed. So secondly, not only get your heart right, says Paul, but they actually followed through. Do you notice that? Look again. So that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. So they had the heart right, brilliant, and then they delivered on it. 
I used to work for a development agency called Tear Fund that helps with the world's poor. It's a Christian agency. And it used to be in reception when you'd come into it, there was this sign behind the reception desk which was a quote from one of the pastors in India and it was these words, you can't eat prayer. And it was quite a powerful reminder that on the one hand, yes, we pray, but actually if we can be the answers to our prayers, then it's important to then follow through on as well. In the same way, Paul says, don't just have the heart to be generous, actually follow through, deliver on it, says Paul to these Corinthian Christians. But thirdly, do you notice something else then? Give according to your means. Look, for if the willingness is there, the gift's acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. In other words, don't look around you and think if only that, or if only that, or I feel bad because I'm not that. According to what you do have. Be free. It's great. It's liberating good news. And fourthly and finally, why? Well, because we're a family, says Paul. In such a way that if you're in a situation right now of plenty, you can support those who have less. But there might be a time where you need, and knowing that at that point those guys might be able to support you, says Paul. Family. So can I ask you as we come to a close, are you rich or are you poor? Have we grasped those verses that Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's good news. And if we believe that and grasp that, God in his amazing grace might change our hearts and how we manage our money, how we manage our lives. Let's pray together. And can I invite us to stand? Please stand if we're able to.